Um, as we get going today, what, what I'd like to do is to start today by just kind of unpacking some misconceptions that people can have about the Christian life. And I'm going to say something that you've probably thought before, but never thought a pastor would say, okay? And that's this. Sometimes religion can be a little weird. I'm going to say it, and I agree with that. Sometimes religion can be a little weird. Now, in order for you to know exactly what I mean and what I don't mean, I'm going to tell you exactly what I mean and only what I mean by that statement, okay? Is that sometimes in the name of religion, people can get really focused in on things that aren't the most important, and then religion becomes a little bit weird. There's a lot of weird things done all in the name of religion across our world. For instance, I read about a custom in India where the, the priests of this particular faith will eat a bunch of food on plantain leaves. Now, if you've never heard of plantain leaves, join the club. I had never heard of it either. But it's a type of leaf. They'll eat the food, put on these leaves, and then they'll take the leaves and the leftovers and throw it on the ground in front of the temple doors. Now, that's not the weird part. The weird part is then the people of that faith or religion will come in shorts and things, and they will roll around in the leftovers that are thrown out that the priests had not quite finished eating, and then go wash themselves in a river nearby, and that custom is supposed to ensure uh, that they won't get certain skin diseases and take away certain skin diseases, okay? You see what I mean? Religion kind of can be a little bit weird. I read about in the Far East a custom that's been going on for 500 years in a certain faith where parents will volunteer to take their infants and drop them from a 50-story, or 50-story, 50-foot high building. That's high enough, right? to be caught by people down below holding sheets. And this process of doing that is meant to ensure good health in their family. Now, it, it didn't tell me in the article what it says if the baby is not caught. Certainly not good health for the baby, that's for sure. It's a little weird in the name of religion. Um, in the United States, a little bit closer to home. Um, there are people in the name of religion who will grow really long beards, who will not use electricity and not drive in cars. They'll only wear homemade clothing and, and, and transport themselves by horse and buggy. Um, there are people in the name of religion who won't drink caffeine, uh, people who in the name of religion will uh, have more than one wife, which, side note, that just seems like a lot of like problems there, you know, just for a lot of reasons. I mean, more than one husband's issues also, I'm not saying, but I'm just saying, okay? Um, people will, in the name of religion, kill or bomb other people that don't agree with them. In the name of religion, even people have and wear special kind of underwear. Google it, it's true, all right? Religion can be a little bit weird. Now, you know, Christianity can be that way too, <laughs> Um, this came to mind a couple years ago when we had a guest come for the very first time to church, and they came on Good Friday. So if you haven't been to our Good Friday service, uh, if you've never been to one, it's going to seem a little weird because you come in and no one's talking and it is dead quiet with 180 people in here. The lights are off and there's like a bazillion candles all over the place, which seems like 
well, it's just kind of weird. The service starts, and there's images on the screen of someone getting killed brutally. Um, you know, not in a way that kids can't see, but still graphic enough. And the whole service, I'm thinking about this guy who's never been to church before and caught him after the service. And to make a long story short, I'll summarize. He's like, that was a little weird. <laughs> yeah, I guess it would have been. I had a chance to explain to him all the background and everything, but, but Christianity can be weird. People put ashes on their forehead on a certain Wednesdays. You put ashes on your head any other time in life? No, there's certain Christians that are really passionate about lutefisk. Certain Christians that are really passionate about sauerkraut. Certain Christians that are really passionate about, you know, what type of style of music is sung or whatever, and if it's not the right, then get really upset, or what people wear to clothes, or, or what clothes they should wear to church or shouldn't wear to church, and just overall, religion can be a little weird. Now, let me clarify again what I mean and what I don't mean. Religion gets weird when the primary focus is on the wrong things. And it starts to get just a little bit weird. And it's interesting that when you listen to Jesus and when he talks about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to, to, to live out your Christian faith, he uses a word most often that is so simplistic and not weird at all. And in fact, if there is one thing that I'd want you to remember from this entire series, it would be just that one word and... No surprise, it's the theme of our series, Follow. In fact, it's our, our first fill-in-the-blank, just in case you, you wouldn't remember. A simple word to describe the Christian life is simply follow. 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 Now, this series comes at a really good time because we're just two weeks removed from Easter. What I'm going to say is that the Christian life and following makes no sense at all if Easter doesn't launch it. This entire series is going to be thought of and taught in the shadow of what Jesus Christ did for us at Easter. And with that in mind, um, thinking about this encouragement again, follow what? Follow what? I think a lot of times when people think about the Christian life, they might either on purpose or accidentally fill in, follow the rules, that's the Christian life, or follow the commandments, that's about the Christian life, or follow the laws. But the reality is, while there's some of that to the Christian life, that's not the heart of the Christian life, and that has nothing to do with the word follow that we're using in this series. It's not a what, it's a who. The Christian life is not about following the rules. <laughs> it's about following Jesus. And there's a difference. There's a difference. That if you get the difference throughout this series, it's going to make a huge impact in your joy <laughs> and also in your carrying out of following to understand the difference between following a person, Jesus, or following the rules. So that's really what we're going to look at today. We're going to weed that out a little bit as we set the stage. And with the, the rest of the, the time that we have, um, I, I want to really have you think about another word that goes so well with follow Jesus, okay? 
To do that, we're going to look in on a conversation that Jesus had with uh, a man named Matthew. Now, Matthew actually is the one who wrote uh, the words that we're going to read today. And in fact, he was one of Jesus' closest 12 friends. Uh, they were called the 12 disciples. He was one of the, the leaders of the, the early Christian church. And what we're going to look at is Jesus' first conversation with Matthew. We're going to, uh, in a moment, turn to Matthew 9. But a, a little bit of context first. So this conversation happens at the, the beginning of Jesus' three-year ministry. Jesus is about 30 years old. He dies at about age 33. He's been preaching and teaching for maybe a couple months, and crowds are already starting to follow him. Um, he was a dynamic preacher, it, it would seem. Um, he was doing miracles. People began to talk about Jesus. Things didn't, you know, news didn't travel by Twitter and Facebook. It traveled by word of mouth. And people knew about Jesus and who he claimed to be. He had already gathered a few of the 12, not sure exactly how many, but at least four were already called to follow him. And then he comes to a town called Capernaum on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And that's where we pick it up in verse 9. As Jesus went on from where he had been, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, now Matthew's prior occupation to being a full-time, you know, one of the 12 was to be a tax collector. And we've talked about this at Bethlehem before, so I'm not going to go into great detail, but I still think it's worth us stopping for a moment to think about what this meant. So tax collectors at the time of Jesus were some of the most despised and hated people in the entire country. And the main reason for that was that they basically got rich off of cheating their countrymen, their friends, their relatives. So they were empowered by Rome to collect taxes, but Rome said, you can collect how much you want. It's just a matter of us getting what we're asking for, that is Rome, and so tax collectors were notorious for squeezing every little bit they could out of the people around them. And so ethical and tax collector kind of went together like cuddly and porcupine. I mean, they had nothing to do with each other. Tax collectors were hated, disliked, unethical, in essence, lost. You know, the issue for a tax collector is that they prioritized their wealth over other people and over ethics, and over morality. And so when Jesus and his few disciples come to Capernaum, and they see Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth, I almost guarantee you that the disciples that were with him were like, all right, Jesus, let's make this quick, all right? And if they didn't say it, they were thinking it. The people of Israel had no interaction with tax collectors, except when they were forced to have it. Well, the verse continues. Jesus, instead of quickly giving him the toll and going through, he stops and says, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. And, and there's no recording of this, but as I think about these things, I'm just thinking, like, I'm guessing that Peter is talking to Andrew, and he's like, Andy, did, did Jesus just say what I thought he said? Did, did Jesus just invite this this despicable tax collector, to, to follow us, to be one of us? Are we going to have to hang out with this guy? And Andy's like, yeah, I'd, 
I think that's what Jesus just said. My point is that these followers of Jesus would have wanted nothing of it to have this tax collector not only, you know, talk with him, but to spend time with them. And yet Jesus invites him. (laughs) And what does Matthew do? He gets up and follows. Now, we got to talk about this, because when I was a kid, this just didn't make any sense to me, even into high school. Like, Jesus just says, follow me, and someone just gets up and leaves and leaves everything behind, you know? It's like some Jesus Jedi mind trick, you know, where he's like, you will follow me, and then we have to be I will follow you. You know, what, what is going on here? Well, there's a little more background to this than some of it, you know, you kind of have to read between the lines. But what did I say earlier? I mentioned how the news of Jesus and who he claimed to be was all over the area. Everyone in the area would have heard who Jesus was and who he claimed to be. And this calling was not a calling of coming to faith. It's just not. What it is, is a person, Matthew, who likely had heard of Jesus, who he claimed to be, had seen his depths of his own self-centeredness, wanted some hope, needed some peace, and had begun to put his faith in Jesus. Small as it would have been, as little informed as it would have been, but had believed that Jesus was the Savior. And so this wasn't a calling, come to faith, Matthew. This was a calling, you've come to faith. Now put your faith into action. Live out your Christian life. And here's how you can do it. Come, follow me. For Matthew, be one of the 12 disciples. Follow me, follow me with your life. I just want to pause there and have you think about how amazing that is. We have a Savior who not only died for us, but then wants to go through life every step of the way with Matthew, but also with us. Jesus wants to have a daily relationship with you. He didn't just save you, die for you, and then leave you be. He wants you to be with him. He wants to be in relationship with you. And and relationship is a great place to be. (laughs) Let, Let me explain the difference, okay? So I want you to put yourself back into your high school years. If you're in high school, this will be easy for you, all right? And I want you to think about there being a boy or a girl, depending on what gender you are, that you really like, and I want you to imagine something that never happened for you and certainly never happened to me, that that boy or girl didn't like you, all right? Didn't like you back, okay? I want you to imagine that you like him or her, she or he doesn't like you back. And with that type of lack of relationship yet, you still wait for him or her after every class so that you can walk with them to the next class. You save a spot for them at lunch, and when you see them come down the steps to lunch, you're like, hey, come over here. I got a seat for you. You accidentally are walking by them in the hallway or outside after school, and you just kind of put your hand over and grab their hand. That is really weird, isn't it? 
And in fact, those are the things that restraining orders are made of, okay? <laughs> now I want you to flip the switch. That person likes you. And you wait for them after class. Maybe not every class, because that's still a little weird, but some of them, all right? To walk with them to the next class. It's not weird, it's natural. You want to sit next to them at lunch, and you save a spot. That's not creepy. That's part of the relationship. You're walking outside together, and you happen to hold hands. It's part of the relationship. You have a Savior, Jesus, who not only saved you, but wants to be in relationship with you every single day the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Savior, has time for you. It's waiting for you each day. Wants to go through life with you holding your hand. It's not weird. It's not creepy when that person is someone you love and loves you. It is so, so awesome. And that's the essence of following, my friends. In fact, our our next fill-in says this. Next slide. Following Jesus is more about the relationship and less about the requirement. Notice I didn't say all about the relationship and none of it is requirement. There's a requirement aspect to following Jesus. But if we focus on the requirement, first and foremost to the lack of the relationship, this is not going to be joy-filled or what God wanted it to be. Some of you are here today because your spouse or your parents required you to be here. How fun is that? How enjoyable is that? Not at all. But when it's because I want to be there, because I'm in relationship, when our entire life of following Jesus is about relationship and not requirement, it totally changes things, changes the picture, changes my satisfaction my, in it, my purpose. Jesus wants that with you. Blows my mind. <laughs> His heart is seen even a little bit more as we continue in this section. Next slide, please. There we go. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So not only did did Jesus invite Matthew to come and to basically be one of his 12, but also he ended up having dinner at Matthew's house. And it's funny, Luke doesn't use the word dinner. He uses the word party. Like this was a celebration event that they were having, and all the tax collectors and sinners were there, and Jesus had no issues being there. Now, I want to just make sure you understand something. Jesus being here isn't that he condones sin or doesn't think it's a big deal. Jesus being here is because his purpose was come to the world in the midst of sinners and instead of condemning them, to save them. The thing that blows my mind, and hopefully yours, about Jesus and about God is that Jesus would want to be around sinners at all like us. 
And yet that's exactly why he came, to be with us, to live here, and then to die for us. Jesus isn't condoning sin here. He's showing his amazing grace that he would be there while the rest of society treated sinners and tax collectors like outcasts. Next verse. When the Pharisees saw this, and let's just pause there. Most of the time when you see, when, and then the Pharisees, you can just do this sound effect. Dun, 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 okay? Because the Pharisees and Jesus were always so diametrically opposed to their thinking and their, their ideas on relationship with God. The Pharisees were this ultra-religious, in a negative way, ultra-focused-on-works group of people that didn't understand relationship with God. They understood the requirements of God. They didn't understand relationship. And so... Do you think they understood what Jesus was doing or had a hard time with him staying there and and eating there? All right, well, let's see. They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I thought he claimed to be a man of God, even the son of God, and yet look at him. He has no issues hanging out with these guys. What's the deal? Next verse. On hearing this, Jesus overheard it. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire, Jesus does, mercy, not sacrifice. Love, not requirements of the law. For I have not come to call the righteous, those who think they're righteous by themselves, but sinners. Jesus is using some sarcasm here in this yellowed phrase. He says it's not the healthy who needs a doctor. He's not saying that the Pharisees were healthy and that's why they didn't need Jesus. What they're saying is that people who think they're healthy, whether they are or not, never seek out the doctor. They think they're just fine. But instead, it's those who recognize their illness, those who know that they're sick and need help, they're the ones that will go to the doctor. They're the ones that the doctor can truly help. Our next verse, our next fill in the blank. And so following Jesus is about living in that relationship and not about earning a relationship. It's about recognizing our sin, and that's just fine with Jesus. In fact, he recommends it. And the truth is, we'd like to think we're a lot different than Matthew And in a lot of ways, we're probably not. The thing with Matthew is he just didn't hide his sin. We do a better job of that. But the heart of Matthew's issue with his life that led him down the wrong path was that he was following self over God. He prioritized himself over his love for his family, his relatives. And so it led him off into a path where he was willing to do just about anything to get what he wanted, even if it meant hurting other people. Almost every time we sin willfully, we're doing the same thing. Prioritizing self, our our ideas over God and his direction. And while our sin is not okay with God, 
because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, it does not eliminate his desire to walk hand in hand with you and to call you his child. Our last fill-in. And so as we move forward the rest of this series, I want you to know that following Jesus will mean that we need to prioritize relationship with him over self. I'll say this another way. While following Jesus is not about the requirements, it's about relationship, that relationship will cost you something sometimes. It'll mean you leaving something behind. Um, Let's think about Matthew. In order for him to get up and to follow, what did he leave behind? His job, in his case. The security of having much. A nice home. And he left that behind for not always being sure where he's going to sleep, <laughs> being hated, not having secure income. He left it for relationship with Jesus. Following Jesus is the greatest way to live our life. But sometimes it's going to mean you have to leave something behind. Um, I was thinking about how this has occurred in my life, and believe me, I have a million uh, ways that I either have successfully or unsuccessfully left what I needed to leave behind. One of them that occurred to me was just being in the ministry, um, knowing that I would not be able to choose where we're going to live. And so while family is really important to me, I knew that likely, and it ended up being true, I wouldn't be near them. And I share this not to, like, bring any sort of glory to me or anything like that, but just to give you an example of sometimes following Jesus means leaving something behind. It's been great. We are so blessed to be here. God has a greater plan than I could ever think of, right? But you need to think about that. What in your life do you need to leave behind today in order to follow in relationship more? Maybe it's an attitude like jealousy or ingratitude or anger. Maybe it is a job. Maybe. Maybe it's an addiction. I don't know what yours is. But, but I do know it's good for us to think about. It's part of following. And here's the last thing. Following Jesus in relationship will always be better. It may not always bring all the happiness and warm fuzzies of this life all the time, every day, but it will always be better to walk hand in hand with your Savior, Jesus, just like Matthew did as he got up and followed. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, We thank you uh, for uh, your invitation to follow and to know that you are committed to walk with us every single day. We don't deserve that, just like we didn't deserve you saving us. And yet, by grace, you give that to us as a gift. Dear Lord, we thank you for that and, and all the blessings that you give. 
pray this in Jesus' name and also pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.